This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is Alex Patnadel, writer of the very reasonably priced Arcadia from Boom Studios. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt, so pay attention. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like Broadcasting this. from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 207. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, May 6th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not dealing with Joe and I's trial separation after our Avengers 2 blowout by doing the only thing I can to deal with my feelings, cheating on him, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Jared Savitas at Willie Toots on the Twitter. And when I'm not well aware that Matt is on the rebound, but I'm taking what I can get. I'm bringing my dang baby boy Conan to the Kinky Wizards D&D game to disrupt it with sickening cuteness. See, he didn't tell me he had a kid before this crap started. <laughs> Secrets! I ain't nobody's daddy. This week, you'll hear our reviews of Sword of Sorrows, number one, and Secret Wars, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics. Faster than the She-Hulk can put Floyd Mayweather in his place during the ludicrous speed round. Then... We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're analyzing some disturbing data picked up by one of our deep space THN probes. We've got those. I like probes. <laughs> While we talk about next week's comics, and finally, it's time to play Ask a Nerd, where we'll be answering one lucky listener's thought-provoking comic question. But before we start chasing people off Twitter because of imagined sexism and racism, let's take a deep breath and remember, just for a moment, who created Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Settle down, kids, okay? <laughs> and then we can talk about this week's big news! Big news! After a five-year hiatus, indie comics darling Daniel Klaus is back with a new 180-page graphic novel from Fantagraphics titled Patience. A Fantagraphics press release describes the story as an indescribable psychedelic love story. <laughs> So they yeah, it's so one of those. described it. <laughs> and the biggest and most ambitious book of his career. Patience doesn't have a hard release date as of yet, but according to the press release, Fantagraphics is aiming for March of 2016. Now, Matt, you're a Klaus fan. Any room left on your body for a Patience tattoo? I don't know. I'm going to have to start looking. This, uh, we didn't get much in the preview. They gave us like four panels and the cover. But in the four panels we got, whoa <laughs> it looks bonkers <laughs> there's like this guy in a sweatshirt and torn jeans flying through space <laughs> with all these weird like kirby lasers and crackle and like slime <laughs> behind him and stuff well that'd be the indescribable psychedelic yeah that would be the indescribable psychedelia i guess i don't know this looks totally nuts daniel Klaus is truly amazing if you haven't read any of his stuff check out ghost world check out the death ray Check out his uh, young Dan Puse books. One of my favorite indie creators. He's a master. Everybody should pick this up. Yeah, man, this is uh, pretty cool. Like, how long has it been since he's done anything? Five years. Five damn years. Five damn years. He was writing your news story. It was. <laughs> I'm not even paying attention. I don't know what I'm doing Jesus, here. wake up, man. <laughs> <laughs> I need a Bloody Mary. All right, well, man, listen. You needed patience to wait for his new oh, work. Oh, man. Patience. Okay, you're fired. <laughs> Over at BleedingCool.com, the rumor mill is ever spinning. And this week, Mr. Johnston is reporting on the future of both the Fantastic Four 
and the X-Men after the dust settles from Secret Wars. Oh, man. According to the rumor mill, the mutants of the Marvel U will find out that the Terrigen Mists, which are the mists that turn people into Inhumans, that Black Bolt, King of the Inhumans, unleashed on the world. There's a cloud, like, flying around the planet right now. Like a big fart cloud. It's fatal to mutants. And... It's going to cause them to get in a spaceship and go find a new planet to live on. A quote from Marvel editor-in-chief Axel Alonso himself did not help deflate the rumors. According to Alonso, the X-Men office is taking the opportunity of Secret Wars to build an entire new world for the characters. To create a shared universe within the X-Books. Weren't they already in a shared universe? The Marvel Universe? Right. <laughs> That's set off by the huge event slash incident slash surprise. At that point... They're going to introduce a new team that feels unlike anything you've ever seen before. It'll be, wait for it, extraordinary. Why didn't they do just an X dash extraordinary? Oh, they'll get there. Don't worry. They're not going to miss that one. All right. In Fantastic Four rumor news, the FF will be shattered after the events of Secret Wars with Johnny Storm dating Medusa in the pages of Uncanny Inhumans and the thing hitching a ride with the Guardians of the Galaxy, Jared. It seems all the things we hate about Hollywood not being able to share Marvel properties is infecting our comics now. Are you happy with this real world BS breaking up Marvel's first family and mailing the mutants to another planet? It's a uh, it's very interesting. Like I I kind of dig some of this. The X-Men going to another planet is kind of goofy, right? And it makes me miss uh, Asteroid M. They could have just gone to Asteroid M. Yeah, I suppose. Can, can, <laughs> is it still crashed <laughs> in Genosha? Can't Magno yeah, Magneto no, no, raise no. it back up? I think it's all messed up. Um, I tell you what, you know, that's goofy. I mean, if they do kind of this X-Men in space thing. Doesn't it take uh, something away from them, though? Because like the whole idea with the X-Men yeah. was they were just like you and me. They were amongst us. They were right. mutants. And yeah. like Stanley wrote them... I think they were sort of written as a parable to like homosexuality at, at the time where it's like they were okay. secret and they were, you know, you, you couldn't come out and tell people who you were. Mm. And now we're going to take them out of society and put them on their own planet. I mean, doesn't that kind of really take something away from them being hated and feared and all that stuff? I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely the Marvel universe is, go is going to lose something. Yeah. Like you can't just replace them with the inhumans and say, Hey, look, we still have this like, right. Somebody uh, else is hated and feared now. People that, yeah, we can point <laughs> fingers at, but like, uh, I, I really can't imagine the Marvel universe without them. I know it's really weird. Now the, the thing going to the gardens of the galaxy, that's kind of fun. I kind of really like it. That's kind of fun. Uh, because it reminds me of thing after the first original secret wars, right? When he like decided to stay on the planet and then you wear the helmet for a while. <laughs> I, I just remember him being like in that black jumpsuit, like <laughs> yeah. wrestling jumpsuit thing <laughs> yeah. all the time. And then he thing out when he needed to. Um, so I kind of like that. And then like Johnny hooking up with Medusa, I didn't even know she really Broke up with Black with Blackie B. Yeah, well, there's stuff going down in the pages of Inhumans right now. And here's what I want to know. We have mention of Johnny. We have mention of Ben. Where are Sue and Reed going to be? Are they going to die? I don't know. Uh, like, are they going to kill him in Secret Wars? They, they won't kill. They can't do it. Probably not. They, you, Secret Wars gives them an opportunity to shake up the whole can of characters and like pick and choose from all kinds of different times and places and storylines. And right. You know, I mean, whether or not it's all permanent after it all is 
yet to be seen. I well, guess. nothing is truly permanent. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, this is wackadoo. Yeah, it's wackadoo <laughs> for sure, <laughs> man. Right. I've mixed feelings. <laughs> All right, now literally 15 minutes after Matt finished editing last week's episode, Suicide Squad director David Ayer released the first picture of the full Suicide Squad team on his Twitter. Now, at that same time, ex-movie star and Scientologist Will Smith... He's not famous anymore. <laughs> ...put up a pic of himself in full Deadshot regalia, and fans responded with a mixture of morbid curiosity and WTs and Fs. Matt, I know you have some feelings on the subject... What were your initial thoughts on the group and the Deadshot picks? I think they should have led with the Deadshot pick because Will Smith in the full Deadshot costume looks pretty cool. Sure. Like yeah. they got the helmet right. I mean, he is carrying a big gun, but it does look like he's got maybe like ammo pouches or some type of guns on his wrists. Oh, uh, there's all kinds of, yeah. He's got guns all over yeah. him. I don't know. The full group picture, my first response was, this looks like extreme Mortal Kombat game <laughs> from 1998. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just, and I'm not, th and I wasn't going into this thinking, oh, the Suicide Squad's going to be a comedy. It's going to be uplifting. It's going to be fun. But this just looks so dark. It's ridiculous. I mean, I, I can't say it looks terrible. They look kind of cool. Yeah. Katana looks neat. Although Katana looks awesome. She I has think. no place in the Suicide Squad, and I'm not sure why they put her in there. Killer Croc, I don't particularly no. care for. He looks like the thing to me. Yeah, well, sure. You know, he looks more like what I would picture like Girder looking like or something if they were going to take a character like that and, right. and realize him on film. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I, I don't care for the character of Harley Quinn, period. I never have. Sure. I didn't even care for her in the cartoon. Okay. And I know that's sacrilege for some people. But here, it seems to me that last week... A bunch of people got upset with Joss Whedon for how he made Black Widow seem like more of a damsel in distress and put her in a love story. And they got upset with him and said, like, oh, that's sexist and whatever, which I don't agree with. But I here you either. have Margot Robbie in butt shorts, literally oh, in yeah. butt shorts yeah, and like a cut off tee. Yeah, man. And a baseball bat. She's going to smash heads. You in. know, I, it's like... <laughs> Isn't this exactly what they should be screaming about? I mean, like the slutting up of the character and stuff. Even I know in her own book, that's who this character is and whatnot. And I'm not saying change it. I just don't care about Harley Quinn. And I don't want her in my suicide squad. I think it's just dumb. And if you look, she's right in the middle and looks like a yeah. total distraction. Well, yeah, because she's bright. She's bright and colorful and everybody else is so drab. Right. And like you said, you know, so dark. I only know like half of these characters. Uh, by name and the other ones I had to look up online to kind of look and see what they look like and well, like, look at their yeah this interpretation of them and, and everyone Katana is pretty and like El Diablo and stuff never had any history whatsoever in the scare in the suicide squad. sure uh what the enchantress was in it though yeah yes okay she actually looks wicked cool like dark and creepy but like voodoo priestess right? yeah not so much like, like an enchantress yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but to go back to your Harley thing this Harley is modeled off of like the Batman Arkham games, Harley. Totally. And people loved those. So that's why I think no one's squawking about this because they're like, that's the badass game version, man. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know. I, I just don't care for it. I don't care for the character. I don't need her in my suicide squad. Now I did notice there's no Joker here either. Well, yeah, I, I really don't know what 
if he's going to be a really big part or if he's just going to be, you know, kind of a kind of in and out. Right. Or, or like, and I don't think, I think it also not having the Joker in this picture fuels the flames of that. Well, maybe he doesn't have any tattoos. Maybe they're freaking out about everybody freaking out about him last week. So they pulled him out of this group shot when we got to redo the Joker or maybe he's <laughs> everybody not, hates it. Maybe he's not part of the group. You know, maybe he, maybe he's not, maybe they're going to stop him. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? But based on this picture, I don't think they look bad. I think they look pretty cool. Yeah, it's all right, man. But it does interesting to see. I I have no connection to the Suicide Squad. Like, I've never read any of it. So, you know, I don't know what to expect or what it should be. It does look very dark and extreme to me. Very much like all the stuff we've seen from Batman v Superman. That's what DC does in their movies. And it seems like they're just going down that further, deeper down that. Yeah, man. They want it. They want it. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck, gentlemen. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything else we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Jared and I are posting pics of us in booty shorts to show Margot Robbie that girls don't get to have all the fun. Every Sunday, the guy with the best booty in the business, Jared Savitas, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. I'm just kidding. Joe's actually going to do it, but Jared's going to respond to it. Jared, (laughs) what is Joe asking the listeners this week? This week's question comes from FTO Comic Reviews. That is flipping tables over. Oh, man. Do you think we're living in a neo-golden age of comics with comic-themed TV shows and movies in the limelight? Bonus question, what would you name this new age of comics? I've been thinking about that a lot. It can't be the modern age for the rest of time. Uh, sure. <laughs> There's got to be something. Right? Sometime the modern age ends. <laughs> yeah. So guess what, guys? You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, May 15th. It's uh, Mad Max Friday. I know. To get us your answer. So excited. You can, leave, you can call us and leave a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype handle is Two-Headed Nerd. Or at our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Or you can send us an MP3 to THN at gmail.com. Sorry, that's two-headed nerd, not THN. Oh, oh. You send it to THN. You're right, because I just mailed it this morning. Yeah, it'll go to the hockey news <laughs> at gmail.com. Two-headed nerd at gmail.com. But keep it under two minutes or you will get cut off. And if you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums pretty happy place it is Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be nerds. it's review time on thn where jared and i celebrate mother's day by further embarrassing our mamas by reviewing funny books for kids on the internet jared what did you pick to review this week this week i read swords of sorrow number one from dynamite it's written by gail simone And there's art by Sergio Davila. The feminist crossover event of the summer starts here. And it's interesting. The characters are brought into the story in one to two page introductions. We have Jana the Jungle Girl saving some kids from a rampaging T-Rex. Red Sonia fights for her life in a pitiless desert. Vampirella hunts down a terror crow in Ireland. I don't know the terror crows. They're badasses, I guess. (laughs) They look like professional wrestlers. Crow skulls. Yeah, man. And Deja Thoris, in what I thought was actually the neatest part of the story, discovering a statue of Red Sonia on Mars. What? What the? 
But we're still not done. We then follow Kato as she knocks some heads around in Sentry City while being watched by Jennifer Blood. And then that's when we meet Traveler. And guess what? Just like the ladies we've been introduced to so far, she's super curvy and scantily clad too. She also seems to reside in some sort of dimensional space called Everywhen, and uh, she's observing each of the heroes through magic picture frames or mirrors. I'm not sure what they were exactly. Sort of like where Superman and Superboy and Lois were living, like, (laughs) (laughs) right? After the crisis? Yeah, yeah. And now it seems that there's some dude who's simply called the Prince, who is growing in power and he has got some mad on against all women, especially the Traveler. And this is causing the walls of time, space, and realities to crack. Now, Traveler needs generals who can withstand him, and all these girls she's been watching fit the bill. So Traveler sends her courier out to give the ladies each a sword. He visits, he visits them, all respectively, telling them they must help save the world. It's during these visits that the different realities and worlds kind of begin to bleed together. It was, I don't know, it just kind of happened. It didn't really... Uh, you just kind of jumped back to the different characters and it was going on. Yeah, they didn't spell it out, certainly. Now, also, even more ladies are introduced. You have Irene Adler from Sherlock Holmes, Lady Zorro, Lady Greystoke, each visited and gifted a sword by the courier. Not to be undone, the story ends with the prince gathering his own little army of women to combat those chosen by Traveler. His choices are the bad girls of the Chaos Universe. So I guess his vendetta against all women just doesn't apply to I these think bad it's just girls. Like, it's just like uppity bitches, you know? <laughs> you can't tell me purgatory is not uppity. Well, yeah, but you know, she's also bad. I mean, Sure. So uh, one might think for a book that is being called feminist and written by a feminist writer would feature a dozen plus scantily clad sexy ladies, but Simone has not been shy about her love for the classic pulp stories and their characters. And now nowadays, these characters take a lot of heat over their costumes or lack thereof, but these are classic pulp characters and they're in their classic costumes. So I'll be surprised to see how this series is received over the course of it. And although I can't really recommend the series, it's it's fun to have these characters cross over. I would say if you're not already a fan of it, just skim this book. Skim it. I, I had more fun with this than I thought I was going to. And I liked it when Dynamite with des- chaos decides to do a crossover. They uh, just do it. Yeah. They don't care. We don't need an incursion. We don't need a battle world. We don't need convergence. We just go, uh, yeah, they're all crossing over. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of fun. And Simone does a good job writing characters that I really don't know a lot about. Yeah. And writing them in a convincing way. I, I will say that. Like her Red Sonia is very good. I like how she, she does Sonya. I like how she did uh, Jana the Jungle Girl, who I don't even know who that is. It's got to be some Golden Age thing that Yeah, man. That Frank, Frank Cho has did season one and two, and season three is coming out. He wrote it anyways. Right. And I agree with you that this is being billed as this very, you know, feminist hero book. And it is. It's all like good girls and ba- versus bad girls. And that's a fun idea. And they are all in their classic costumes. And I'm also very curious. I feel like we can't even comment on this. Like, sure. I've always thought that scantily clad women, be they good or bad, is just dumb. Like, Red Sonia goes into battle in a bikini. <laughs> but here's the thing. Well, okay, here's the thing about stupid. Red Sonia. Uh, I talked to Camarillo Brillo about this quite a bit. Um, 
So, and when she was created, that red Sonia by Roy Thomas was given powers by a goddess. Right. Right. And, and you know, can't be beaten by a man. No man can beat her in a sword fight or whatever. So if you got power from a goddess, you don't need armor. Okay. That's fair. You're, I mean, you're so badass All right. that no one's going to get you anyways. And like Deja Thoris in this book is actually wearing more clothes, more clothes than, than she, she used to. She used to just not wear a yeah. top yeah. back in, no, that's in fine. the old Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah, yeah. That's she right. was straight up topless. All the ladies were. Yeah. So I think this was well written and fun. I'm giving it a skimming as well because I just don't really get off on all these old golden age characters and especially like the chaos characters. I barely care about them. That's what's so weird. Like the chaos characters are. I mean, I guess it's, it's like old school versus new school and they're bad guys. It makes sense. Yeah. For the most part, they're bad guys. There were some I didn't recognize. There was like a blonde woman with guns that I didn't, yeah, I didn't really know I, who I that was. Yeah. But I, I guess we'll find out. I'm giving this a skimming as well. It was very well drawn. Very good art. And you can't always say that about dynamite crossovers. <laughs> All right, Matt. Uh, it's your time, sir. What did you read? <laughs> oh boy. I read secret wars. Number one from Marvel. Written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Isad Ribic or Rabik. 56 pages for five bucks. Hefty. Everybody stop whining about how much it costs. You got 56 pages. Jonathan Hickman's reality smashing storyline comes to a head with Marvel's 2015 summer blockbuster crossover event, Secret Wars. The Ultimate U and the Marvel 616U are the last universes standing for the final incursion. But before the two can destroy one another... Something funny happens that looks to lead into a load of tie-ins. There are a few artists out there as talented as Assad Ribic, and it should be said that this is some of his best work. Ribic takes some chances here with some sort of scribbly backgrounds when Doctor Doom is staring into the abyss. Oh, yeah. It was a fantastic moment. But unfortunately, for me anyway, it seems to get lost in moments that will only be appreciated by fans of the regular Marvel U or the Ultimate Marvel U, and vice versa. Fans of the Ultimate U might not have any idea what's going on in Hickman's incursion story, just as I don't have the slightest clue as to what's happening in the Ultimate Universe. It makes the whole story even harder to approach than Hickman's Avengers, but I can't say there weren't some great moments here. Colossus throwing the Hulk, the Punisher showing up in the bar where the villains have gathered to watch the end of the world. That was great stuff. There was a lot of fun here and it was a solid first offering, but honestly, I'm more excited for the battle world tie-ins to come. It's hard for me to give us a buy it because I really had no clue what was going on during the ultimate stuff. I'm giving this a skim it because you really had to be following both universes to know what was happening. I do think the Marvel U will be better off and interesting when all is said and done. But for now, I mean, I don't know anything else but to give this book a skim. It. <laughs> I think you covered it. Um, I have to give it a skim it as well, um, just because I don't keep up with a lot of the Marvel Universe or any of the Ultimate Universe. So I was pretty lost. And there were times when I got characters mixed up where I was like, oh, that is oh, absolutely. Iron Man from the Ultimate U. Oops. I thought it was. I was like, why is Captain Marvel attacking him? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, so like, <laughs> I got a little, little confused. And, um, but like you said, it is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, I think when it's all said and done, it will be a great read. 
I'm with you where I'm a little bit more excited for some of the Battle World stuff. This is definitely not a book that you can just wander into as a casual Yeah, because that's what I did. You can't. And I was like, I mean, <laughs> uh, you got to give it up to Hickman because that boy likes to do a uh, chapter page. Yeah. <laughs> like a oh, yeah. white page with like, this is what is happening. Yeah. And say what you will about Hickman's story. It's not completely off the rails. He knows what he's doing. It is just extremely complex. And he's paid attention to it since day one. Sure, yeah. It's all been there. It's just, man, maybe we're not smart enough to follow it. It's heavy duty stuff, man. This (laughs) is comics. It's supposed to be fun stuff. (laughs) Light and easy going. I'll tell you this much. Reed with a beard looks awesome. Yeah, he does. That dude looks awesome. Let me ask you this. (laughs) Can the beard stretch? (laughs) Oh, oh man. Right? Can he stretch his hair follicles? I don't know. You'd think he'd have to. Like Medusa? Right. Come on. (laughs) So that is a double skimmit for Sword of Sorrows and a double skimmit for Secret Wars. It seems this week we were feeling nothing. As always, (laughs) we want to know what you conscripted feminists and denizens of a doomed reality thought of these comics. So raise your swords and slay us with your opinions over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. In the wake of last week's Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, one of the most boring title fights in memory... Matt and I heard America's collective sigh when the bad guy won, and it gave us an idea. Since Floyd Mayweather is so keen on beating up women, maybe it's time he had a real challenge. So we've started a petition to force Floyd Money Mayweather to fight the She-Hulk in front of an all-female crowd at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And the petition is filling with names fast. So join us as we watch the signatures of people that want to see a giant green woman pound a woman-beating piece of shit into the dirt while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Guardians team up number five from Marvel Comics. I have mixed feelings about the modern-day Rocket Raccoon. I kind of think I don't like this version much. Regardless, the cover for this issue had me strangely excited. Rocket teaming up with the Pet Avengers? Gonna be fun, right? Sorta. Rocket chases a six-pack of beer across space, which leads to a team-up with the PAs and a confrontation with Vulture Von Doom and the pets of Evil Masters. Is this book necessary, or is this just a Guardians movie cash-grab fallout? It's a goofy book. Leave it! It sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it had Zabu. I was so excited. <laughs> Arcadia number one. Boom! Writer Alex Pacnadel and artist Eric Scott Pfeiffer bring us a Matrix-inspired story of the near future where more than 4 billion people who were killed by a virus had their brains scanned and their personalities uploaded into Arcadia, a digital heaven fueled and taken care of by the meat who are the few left... I'm doing air quotes. I'm watching... I see this. <laughs> by the meat. Everyone the, listening really appreciates it. Who are the few left living on the planet. This is an amazing story of the haves and have-nots and how even in a virtual world, the rules of the rich and the poor seem to hold true. Fantastic art here. Really cool premise. Very cool sci-fi. Buy it. Baltimore, the cult of the Red King. Number one from Dark Horse. Lord Baltimore and his merry band of evil hunters set off to track down the Red King. I don't know how merry they are. <laughs> uh, they're not. They're like they're, a dour it was a, it was a joke, dude. Hunters. It was a joke. <laughs> the Red King, who may be the ultimate adversary of the human race. 
Now, this five-issue series sees Peter Bergting return to pencils while Mr. Ben Stenbeck lends his talents to Frankenstein Underground. Just so good. Although I miss Ben's work here, Bergting's art does fit well into the Mignolaverse, and unlike the series he drew before, Witch of Haru, it didn't distract me as much as it did then. Baltimore remains a solid read, and at the top of my stack, buy it. Wonder Woman 77 DC! This reprints the digital first series written by Mark Andreco that takes place in the Linda Carter Wonder Woman universe of the 1970s TV show. And as ridiculous as that sounds, it is awesome. I loved <laughs> this. It was way more compelling than anything happening with Wonder Woman in the DCU right now. She's fighting a Soviet roller skate gang. Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> She's <laughs> in disguise and going to like Club 54, but they call it like Club 52 or whatever sure. in New York. Her and Steve Trainer are like hip swinging sexy agents. It nice. was great. And the art, beautiful. Buy this. Rachel Rising number 33 from Abstract Studios. The witch Lilith returns to the town of Manson, the town that persecuted her 300 years ago. This issue focuses solely on Lilith as she begins to seek revenge upon the populace of Manson in her own unique way. It's another beautiful and gruesome issue from a master of the black and white comics, Terry Moore. Along with Baltimore, I think I hype this book each time I'm on this show. You do. If you want a solid non-superhero read, and you've asked for it, you really can't go wrong with this book. Start with the first volume and buy it. I've got to catch up on Rachel Rising. I have to do it. It's creepy good. Drop dead number one, Valiant. Dead drop number one. Dead drop number one, Valiant. <laughs> drop dead. <laughs> Alish Cott makes his mark on the Valiant U by writing a storyline that is essentially one big chase scene featuring Exo Man of War chasing what he thinks is a terrorist with an alien virus. Cot has been turning heads with every issue he writes, and he seems to be perfect for the Valiant U. This was nonstop action with excellent art by Adam Goram. Cot seems like a perfect fit at Valiant, and I cannot wait to read more. Valiant comics are fan freaking tastic. Buy them all! Well, except for uh, Punk, Punk, Punk Mambo. That <laughs> Dayman number seven from Boom! The world has been controlled by a secret network of vampire covens known as the 50 Families for thousands of years. Whoa. Each family employs a Dayman, a human who acts as a daytime fixer and protector while the vampires sleep. In order to settle a centuries-long squabble between two of the families, their Dayman face off in ritual combat. Now, although this book only comes out once every four months, the wait is worth it. Artist Brian Stelfreeze is at the top of his game, and every panel of this is simply amazing, gorgeous. Ugh, the first trade is only $9.99, and Blacklist writer Will Simmons is adapting the book for Universal Studios. Get in on it now. Buy it! Inhuman Annual Number One from Marvel. I sort of begrudgingly read Charles Soule's Inhuman series because I felt like I have to pay attention to this because they're going to be a new big thing. I started out not caring at all, and by the time I got to this annual where they are tying everything up, I love this book. <laughs> it's really, really cool. They've introduced some characters that I actually care about. They reintroduced older Inhumans that don't get enough play. Ryan Stegman is on art here. It's very cool. And like I said, there was a lot of plots traveling through Inhuman, and they tie it all up here in this annual. I can't believe I'm saying this, but buy it. John Carter, Warlord of Mars, number six from Dynamite. 
seems John Carter isn't the only Earthman to travel to Mars. Union officer Captain Joshua Clark, an old adversary of Carter's, leads a group of invaders to conquer helium, and only Carter and his friends stand in the way. How many times can I say Carter during this review? <laughs> this issue seems the final showdown between Carter and Clark. And never before has Carter faced an enemy so closely matched to his power level. Ron Mars said he had always wanted to write this title, and although I feel this story was similar to those I've read from the 1970s Marvel comics, I'm interested to see where he takes Warlord of Mars, but I have to give it just a skim it. Yeah, I was kind of pumped about Ron Mars taking this over, and I read a couple of them. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine. Yeah. That is your ludicrous speed round. Yarg! Is the sound of a desert wind sandblasting the flesh from the bones of a religious zealot as seen in the pages of Arcadia number one. Now flay the skin from our bones with your reviews of this week's comics over at this week's comics section on the THN forums. That sentence is so clunky, but that's the name of the section. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Jared and I are investigating a distress signal from one of our THN deep space probes. It seems another Earth exactly like ours has appeared just outside of our solar system, and it looks to be in a direct path with our own home planet! We haven't learned much about this new Earth other than it's inhabited by a much kinder and nicer version of the two-headed nerd. So, of course, it has to die! There can be only one! And for reasons of saving our own planet, too, of course. Jared, while we work out some doomsday scenarios in case we can't stop this incursion, why don't you tell the listeners what you're excited to read next week? Oh, I'm ready for the always gorgeous and wonderful Mouse Guard Legends of Guard... Mouse Guard (laughs) Legends of the Guard, Volume 3... Number three from Boom. It's written and illustrated by David Peterson. Here's the solicit. The mice at the June Alley Inn continue to tell their stories in an attempt to clear their tabs. Featuring inventive mice, haunting cicadas, and other stories from Ramon K. Perez. So good. Hawkeye. Of Hawkeye fan. Oh, you don't have to read those. Uh, Jake Parker and Eric Talbot. All those guys are really talented. And Mouse Guard. Awesome. Always awesome. Such a great book. Now, Matt, what's your pick for next week? Next week, I'm going with Injection Number 1 from Image, written by Warren Ellis, art by Declan Shalvey, colors by Jory Belair, and it costs $2.99. Here's a solicit. Once upon a time, there were five crazy people, and they poisoned the 21st century. Now they have to deal with the corrosion to try and save us all from a world becoming too weird to support human life. Injection is a new ongoing series created by the acclaimed creative team of Moon Knight. It is science fiction, tales of horror, strange crime fiction, techno thriller, and ghost story all at the same time. A serialized sequence of graphic novels about how loud and strange the world is getting. About the wild future and the haunted past all crashing into present day at once. And about five eccentric geniuses dealing with the paranormal and numinous. Is that a word? Numinous? And numinous, numinous. as well <laughs> as the growing weight of what they did to the planet with the injection. It sounds like more feel-bad, creepy sci-fi from Warren Ellis. <laughs> and I am in. Yeah, it sounds wild, man. I love Warren Ellis. I love Declan Shelby. And when he works with Jordi Belair, really, really, really cool pictures come out of it. Love this creative team. Can't wait to read this one. I'm excited. The THN trade of the week is Ghetto Brother. Warrior to Peacemaker. Title alone, I had to just go, yep, that's it. 
<laughs> I don't need to know anything else. <laughs> From NBM. There you go. Yeah. Written by Julian Vologe. Sure. And art by Claudia Alhuring. Yeah, I just wanted to give you some art names. <laughs> Here's the solicit. An engrossing and counter view of one of the most dangerous elements of American urban history, this graphic novel tells the true story of Benji Melendez, a Bronx legend, son of Puerto Rican immigrants, who founded, at the end of the 1960s, the notorious Ghetto Brothers Gang. From the seemingly bombed-out ravages of his neighborhood, racked by drugs, poverty, and violence, he managed to extract an incredibly positive energy from this riot-ridden era. His multiracial gang promoted peace rather than violence. After initiating a gang truce, the Ghetto Brothers held weekly concerts on the streets or in abandoned buildings, which fostered the emergence of hip-hop. Melendez also began to reclaim his Jewish roots after learning about his family's dramatic crypto-Jewish background. I don't know what a dramatic crypto-Jewish background is, but I gotta find out. Yeah, right? <laughs> Sounds crazy. Crypto-Jewish. <laughs> yeah, this guy was one of the first people to start doing those street shows where, like, we've got some of the original hip-hop legends. Like, there might not be hip-hop without Benji Melendez putting it in front of people. And that's heavy, man. Totally heavy. Like, had Blondie not been at one of these outdoor shows, pardon me, had Debbie Harry not been at one of these outdoor shows, we might not have rap. It's crazy. That is crazy, man. Right? The Ghetto Brothers. I am sure we're going to figure out what to do before the incursion with this counter takes place. So, hey, don't sweat it. For now, head over to the THN forums and let us know what you're excited to next week. Okay, the mics are off. I think we're f- I don't know what we're going to do. It's a joke. About the oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jared looked at me like, I was like oh, are we f- serious? <laughs> Once a month, we here at The Ziggurat like to highlight just how smart we is by answering a question from one lucky listener. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Ask a Nerd Time is here! This week, intrepid entertainment reporter for the Omaha World Herald, Kevin Coffey, asks via email, Why is there a designation between a first cameo appearance and a first full appearance of a character? Shouldn't the first appearance be the first time the character appears? For example, I own Uncanny X-Men 282, a comic that features Bishop on the cover, and he shows up in the last few pages of the comic. But Uncanny 283 is considered his first full appearance and is valued higher. It can't be that much higher because Bishop sucks. The same thing... I've said that was me speaking. Oh, man. The same thing goes for Wolverine. He shows up in Hulk 180 on the last page, but Hulk 181 is considered his first full appearance. Why is there a distinction? You know you sounded just like Kevin. I know. That was my Kevin impersonation. It was perfect. Yeah, I nailed it. Right? (laughs) Out of the park. Bam! (laughs) This is a really, really tough one. And I've wondered about this, too, because what you're saying makes perfect sense, Kevin. Let's go with the Wolverine example, because, you know, he's way cooler than Bishop. He shows up on the last page of Hulk 180. Hulk's fighting the Wendigo, and Wolverine shows up. There he is, claws popped and everything. But it's not his first appearance. Everybody knows Hulk 181, Wolverine on the cover, the first full appearance of Wolverine. Why there is a distinction between these two, I don't really know. And I don't know that there is a solid answer for this. At this point, it only seemed right to contact the official THN comic book historian, 
Jason Sachs, one of the smartest guys we know, to see how he would weigh in the subject. Hi guys, Jason Sachs here at Jason Sachs on the Twitters. All right, you freaks, just hold it. If you really want to tangle with someone, why not try your luck against the Wolverine? With those words, Incredible Hulk number 180 from 1974 concludes. We see a man in a yellow costume with a very large belt, extremely large claws, and silly boots come charging at the Hulk and Wendigo, ready for a fight. He looks like a pretty generic kind of character actually maybe a little bit like a banana more than a wolverine but you know there he is he's some he's some guy we don't know anything about him we haven't gotten to know him at all he's just some guy to us x-men annual number 14 1990 there's a series of scenes that take place uh, in various places around the world it's not a very good comic it takes place when the x-men are all split up no one really cares but you know what in a few of the panels there's some guy there he's wearing a trench coat and pink and blue costume and we know him now as gambit one of the most popular x-men ever although i don't know why he's so popular because to me he's just some doofus but you know whatever that's america we can choose we can pick we can decide who we like and don't like it's okay we're free as long as you like me those are cameo appearances. We don't know these people. We're just getting to know them. We're just uh, getting a glimpse at them. It's like seeing someone across the room at a party, maybe making eye contact with them, uh, maybe even sharing a couple of words. Hey, how's it going? All right. Oh, are you Susan's friend? Oh, cool. I, I, I know Joe. And yeah, he brought me to the party. Well, gotta go. See you later. Bye. That's not really a first appearance of that person in your life. That's a cameo appearance of that person in your life. The difference between a cameo and a first appearance to me is when you have some sort of meaningful moment with that person. When you have some sort of moment when the character actually reveals himself. It's Hulk number 181 where the Wolverine proves himself to be a badass and fights against the Wendigo and the Hulk and uh, we learn that he's more than just some doofus who looks like a walking banana with a giant belt and uh, silly claws but he's actually some badass Canadian who's not polite and who wants to shred people. Same thing with Gambit although he's not nearly as cool you know by the time we actually get to know him and see him uh, he's a guy who can fight and throw his cards and all right look kind of stupid but whatever 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 it's all about when you meet somebody now in terms of like what writers and artists think about this i think you're going to find lots of different opinions but uh to me the gold standard is wolverine and the hulk you know nobody uh kind of thinks of hulk number 180 as being his first appearance it's hulk number 181 um hope that helps um maybe it's a little uh kind of circular uh maybe too much like a, a duis a machina which is a topic for a whole other time thanks a lot guys talk to you later bye jason Sachs writes for comicsbulletin.com and he's also written a couple books under the title the american comic book chronicles the 1970s 80s and they're working on the 90s right now the guy is brilliant go read his stuff and i think he points out the real problem with a question like this bishop for example showed up was on the cover of 282 shows up in the last few pages has some lines like speaks but that's not his first full appearance it's just technically a cameo yeah oh there's a lot of debate about this and i think what i'm seeing is it all comes down to fan reaction to like where the value is i think that's true um because you have there's a fight to say that you get more of your favorite character in the first full appearance. And therefore that's why it's more valuable. You're not just getting a one panel shot 
or, or, you know, like whatever, um, maybe just his foot or whatever, <laughs> or the silhouette, like Mary Jane, you saw her in a panel, but then she didn't really fully appear until seven issues later. True. It kind of all depends. Let's go back to Red Sonia. Red Sonia, her first appearance in comics is issue 23 of Conan the Barbarian, but then issue 24 of Conan the Barbarian is like, she's through the whole thing. And that one's even titled the song of Red Sonia. Yeah. And it's, there's all kinds of examples of this, like Venom. So when Venom was starting to kind of show up in Amazing Spider-Man, you were getting just pieces of him. But none of those initial first panel appearances of him are worth diddly. And honestly, I think the only place that this discussion has any weight whatsoever is when it comes down to values of the actual comic. I mean, if you look at Incredible Hulk 180... First appearance of Wolverine on the last page, a cameo appearance, if you will, in gem mint, we'll call it 10.0 condition, according to comics price guide, $2,400. It's worth way more than that. Sorry, guys. But the next 181, which is considered the full appearance of Wolverine, gem mint, $12,000. So that's a huge it's jump. It's a huge jump. Massive yeah. jump yeah. in price. And the same goes for all those other ones we talked about. The first appearance of Bishop. Mary Jane, Venom, Red Sonia. It's the same story for all of them. And it really is only a discussion that's had when you're buying the comic, when it comes down to values. I think creators, I would be curious to talk to a guy like Herb Trimpey and say, what, is you, what do you think is the first appearance of Wolverine? Was it when you drew him in the pages of 180 or is it 181? And I'll bet Herb Trimpey says 180. I bet the yeah. artists and the creators... When they premiere these characters, that is their first appearance. And it comes down to fans, dealers, and these ideas that we have of who starred in the comic book, if you will, more, or how many lines he had and whatnot for a first full appearance. But that's really the only place that discussion happens is when you're talking values. Exactly. So it's, it's one of those weird things, like it can't apply to a TV show, for example. The first, like, take The Flash, where we just had Gorilla Grodd show up this season and stuff like that. And he shows up in the end of an episode and, like, she's like, makes a weird gorilla of talking noise or whatever. And they went, oh, Gorilla Grodd showed up on The Flash. They didn't say, no, 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 that was just a cameo. His first appearance is on the next episode where he's actually doing stuff. This really only happens in the pages of comics. And I think it's just part of a weird comic collecting mentality. And there's all kinds of weird stuff that only happens in the comic collector's world. Yeah. Where we start looking at like why some covers are worth more, why misprints are worth more, you know, stuff like that. It's this imagined value that we project on it, that people are willing to make a bid on eBay, basically saying, well, I'll bid $5 more because I think it's worth more than that. But there is no real concrete thing you can point to and go, well, this is why it's a cameo and this is why it's a first appearance. I am in full agreement with you, Kevin, that the first appearance of a comic book character should be the first time he's drawn, period. I don't care if it's the corner of his face in, you know, one corner of a panel, like peeking up going, ha whatever. <laughs> that would be your first appearance because you appeared. Here's where it bothers me big time as well. So you get, okay, I'm going to use the example of Rocket Raccoon. Rocket Raccoon, the first time he was ever in a comic was in a magazine when Marvel did the old magazine style books in the seventies. Same goes for star Lord. They both had their origins 
well, it wasn't Raccoon's Origin, but he was in a story in those magazine formats. But those books aren't considered the first appearance of those characters. Yeah. I mean, people, if you go and you look, you have to up, wait. You know, you have to do the full color comics for the right. to count. Like if you go to Wikipedia and you look up Star Lord, it says first appearance. It will be like the Marvel uh, premiere or Marvel whatever premiere, it was, or, or Spotlight or, like or Fantasy Crazy. But then it says first comic appearance. Boom, here. Yeah. And yeah, it's different. And those magazines aren't worth as much as the comics, which is bizarre. But I think that shows that just comes down to people don't collect magazines like they collect yeah, comic books. Sure. That's all yeah. that is. So then again, it goes back to it's the collectors that drive it. That's it. It's purely collector mentality. Yep. That's all that it is because there are no hard and fast rules for this stuff. It's bizarre and it's weird. But hey, we're a bunch of nerds with boxes full of comic books in our house. What do you expect? Did we even answer this question? <laughs> I don't think we did. Or did we I just, love it. Did we, we did, just we point did. out a, nothing. a glaring problem with collecting <laughs> comic books? <laughs> Kevin, thanks so much for your question. And if you have a comic question you want to hear the two-headed nerd discuss, you can email us, call us, or just post your question in the Ask a Nerd forum. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the trial separation episode of THN. If you like podcasts where one host proves he doesn't need the other host by strutting out a new co-host in front of the internet and everybody, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, you can leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thanks to all of our donors. If you want to keep Matt and I is honeymoon period rolling, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as uno dollar a month really does help. That's it, Mexican for one. Yeah. <laughs> if you're interested in sponsoring THNs, shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship while you are there you can find links to all of our contact info via twitter youtube facebook skype tumblr and the ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 using all these resources you can beg the comic pushers for a new read you can hit us with your ask a nerd questions or trivia or you can defend your questionable nerd tastes in front of the two-headed judge for our defender segment or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, drawn on the back of a Mother's Day card you forgot to send, whatever! And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums, kids. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can learn more about our segments and how you can be a part of them, or you can just rap about comics, baby. Our segments like the, uh, what was that dang movie? <laughs> Where they're stuck to each other's butts. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Remember to follow Two Headed Nerd on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast every Wednesday. Next week, comic pushers are back rapping about highly addictive comics. So if you're looking for a new read, hit us up, kids. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Max Riffner, creator of The Crippler's Son and the guy that makes TwoHeadedNerd.com look so damn good. Max had major heart surgery yesterday, but he came through without a scratch, and the doctors say he's going to be fine and dandy. Word to you, Max. Until next time, true believers. 
Remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might explode your heart and your chest with their mind powers if you don't. <laughs> this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off! Two-Headed Nerd!